Okay, you may be seated. And we are in Deuteronomy chapter 5 tonight. And you can see on your screen, it's not, it's not a mis, misprint or a typo or anything like that. Just two verses. Um, verses 6 and 7. Quick review here. Um, remember that, um, that Deuteronomy is a series of three sermons or messages from um, Moses to the people of Israel as they get ready to go into the promised land. Uh, and so we have completed the first message. Um, and the second message is, is really long, and most of the book. Uh, but there is some structure within this uh, long uh, 25 chapter um, or 20, 24 uh, chapters um, in this second message. It's broken into two parts. The first part goes through chapter 11 and then the rest of it is a little bit later. But even within this first part, this first 11 well, it's actually, you know, seven chapters um, that, that there's some, there, it's broken into three parts, almost like a three-point um, three sermon, except they all, and, and all of those sections begin the same way. Uh, they begin the, 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 this way, hear, O Israel. Um, so the first section that we're going to come to um, in that first or in that second message, includes the Ten Commandments. Um, so last week we, we began this first section um, of the second message with this. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, okay, so here's the start of it, right? Hear, O Israel, and that'll be said two more times in this message. Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Again, that's Mount Sinai, um, and that is the covenant he's talking about is the Ten Commandments. Now, that's the covenant document. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. So just just a note. He's saying that I didn't make this covenant, the Lord didn't make this covenant with your fathers, um, but with you who are alive today. Um, Most of their fathers were likely alive at that time at Horeb, uh, not all of them probably, but most of their fathers were alive there. But, but Moses is stressing this commandment is, this, this covenant is for you. Um, and so the Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain and out of the midst of the fire. While I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up into the mountain And he said, and that's where we left off last time, with he said. So tonight, um, we're going to start the Ten Commandments. And so when you think of the Ten Commandments, what do you think of? Um, 
One of the things that I think of right away is that, that there's been a real effort in this country and largely successful to remove um, the Ten Commandments from the public square. So what is it about the Ten Commandments that, is, that people object to? That is so offensive to people. Often, I don't hear it so much anymore, but I used to hear things like when, when we talked about, um, you know, faith and things like that with people in a, in a different work setting. You know, I keep the Ten Commandments. Usually followed up with, I've never killed anybody. So what is it about those Ten Commandments that are that are so, so offensive to the United States culture right now, at least, in the, at least in the public square. Well, um, we'll talk more about that as we go through. So what are the Ten Commandments? I don't mean list them off for me, just what are they? Um, a few verses before it said this, the Lord made a covenant with us at Horeb or at Mount Sinai. So the form of the the form of the Ten Commandments, the way that they're structured, is structured like a covenant. A specific kind of covenant. Um, not like we think of um, when we think of like a marriage covenant or something. Although that, that has some similarity, but but at that time a particular kind of covenant, like a treaty between a a king, like a conquering king, and the people that he just conquered, and their leaders. And so you have, an, you have a mighty king uh, who is making a covenant with a nation that, it is con- that he has conquered or that is subordinate to him for some other reason. So the Ten Commandments are like that. The Ten Commandments are a covenant document like that. So they are they are the way God expects Israel to live under the terms of this covenant where he is the king. So the substance though of these 10 things, these 10 commandments are not new. They weren't new um, and they're not new in Deuteronomy. They weren't new when they were given in Exodus. Um, Block says basically they are the creation ordinances. They're the things that have been in place in the world since God put people on it. That this is the way that he has expected people to live all along. And so it is just restating things that are, that are even earlier in Genesis and Exodus and things that, that aren't even listed but that but fit in with that. That this is the way God expects us to live. Um, and so while they are Israel's standard, God's standard for Israel, they're also the standard then for the rest of the people in the world. Uh, everybody in the world, uh, this is the standard for them. So why is it then? that people would object to that standard. Well, we're going to talk about that as we go through. 
But the Ten Commandments are stated in two places in your Bible. And the first is, or the second is this one that we're looking at tonight, Deuteronomy chapter 5. They're also in Exodus chapter 20, which is the place and the time when the, that they were, the Israelites were actually at Mount Sinai. And God actually spoke out loud to them, to the whole group of people, these ten commandments. So these two accounts of the Ten Commandments are identical in some places. Some places there are some minor differences. Um, that doesn't mean that they've changed. Um, what it means is that, that they are in different settings and for different purposes. So God declares the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel um, in Exodus chapter 20. And Moses is telling them, about the Ten Commandments, 39 years later, probably about, or 38 years later, roughly that amount of time later, um, for the specific purpose of instructing them before they go into the land of Canaan. So the Ten Commandments are, they're really specific, and they're really simple, and they're really, really understandable. However, they have broad implications, um, and those implications are equally authoritative. So we really need all of Scripture in order to explain to us or to help us to understand what the Ten Commandments are, because they are the foundation uh, and the summary of all of the commands in the Bible. Um, for example, here's what, here's what I mean by that. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. Very simple. Very specific. But here's why we need the rest of the Bible. What is murder? It's not evidence solely from the translation of the word what it means. So, and as Christians, we might think, well, that's the Old Testament. Um, and so when the New Covenant came, Testament and Covenant mean the same thing. Um, we live by the New Covenant, and so we really don't have to think much about uh, the Ten Commandments anymore. In fact, didn't, didn't doesn't Paul write and say, you know, that there's, there's just a... We don't want to be under the law. We're not under the law, but we're under grace. Well, here's what John writes in uh, 1 John 3.15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him or living in him. So it certainly seems like... Um, Thou shalt not murder, you shall not murder, applies to us. John's writing that as a, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, and you can also see from that that you shall not murder is a bigger thing than um, just killing somebody intentionally. It has another meaning. Uh, that Jesus brought out, but also John brings out here. 
Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. That's something different. It seems much harder to to think about and to live by than just you shall not murder. So, another thing about the Ten Commandments. They're part of the law, and, and we know the purpose of the law is, is to be a tutor to lead us to Christ. So all of those things are true of the Ten Commandments. And so here we're going to jump into our text for tonight. Um, and I'm going to read um, I'm going to read all of through all of the Ten Commandments real quickly, and, the, and then we'll come back to the text, just so that we get a feel for it. So this is, remember, this is like a preamble to the Ten Commandments. This is part of that treaty document, and it starts out this way. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation to those who hate me, of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands, steadfast love is covenant love, by the way, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And that is the end of the ten Commandments. So tonight, the first commandment. Um, so the, the, the commandments aren't numbered in the text. I don't know if you noticed that. They are not numbered. And so there is um, disagreement on what is, what, how the commandments should be broken up and how they should be 
numbered. Everybody agrees there's ten. Well, Scripture says there are ten. There are ten things here. Um, So the Roman Catholic tradition has the first commandment being verses in in this verses seven, eight, nine, and ten. Seven, eight, nine, and ten. The Lutheran Church generally follows that as well. So that includes you will have no other gods before me, and it includes the discussion about idols, um, the command about idols. The Reformed tradition um, has the first commandment only verse 7, and that's the one we've generally followed in this church as long as I can remember. Um, But then the second commandment is verses 8 through 10, so that kind of throws the numbering off, um, but it ends up working out to 10 in the end. So we'll follow um, the Reformed, the one that we've typically used in this church um, for a really long time, and we'll begin in Deuteronomy 5.6. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So remember, that's the preamble. Um, It's not part of the first commandment. Um, That is what comes ahead of it. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. Um, And so these are, I mentioned that this was also in Exodus 20. These words are identical to those in Exodus 20 verses 2 and 3. So the preamble, and then we have the first commandment. So a little side note here. Have you ever told anybody that, that you love that person? Have you ever said I love you to somebody? And what usually is the response? Come on. I love you too. That's the normal response. So, so have you ever had a different response? Um, I was, when, when I started thinking about that, I thought, well, of course, but... Um, my mind went to Star Wars. And I'm not even a big Star Wars guy, but, but, but it was such a, such a striking line that I can't forget it. When Princess Leia says to Han Solo, I love you. You guys remember how he, how he answers? I know. <laughs> so this is not really, this has nothing to do with Star Wars. It has to do with, with the answer When you said, I love you, maybe you get a different response. Sometimes, I know that this happens sometimes. You say, I love you, and the person says, why do you love me? Well, now you're caught. You have to answer that question. Um, But we probably mostly would answer that the same way. I love you because of who you are. So, God here, before he gives this commandment, it is a commandment to loyalty. It's a commandment to love. It's a commandment to devotion. Before he gives that commandment, he tells them who he is. He tells them who... It is that is giving this commandment that says you shall have no other 
gods before me. So, I am the Lord. Again, this isn't part of the first commandment. It's part of, it's the preamble, but it applies to all the commandments. So, and as we go through the commandments, the Ten Commandments, we should be remembering that who it is that uh, is is instructing us to do these things. It's foundational to the covenant. In, In other words, the Ten Commandments wouldn't mean anything if they were not coming from God. And God doesn't command this, this loyalty, this devotion, this love um, arbitrarily or without good reason. He commands it because of who he is. He commands it because he is worthy of it. He's worthy of commanding these things. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. So right away when you hear I am Yahweh, especially if you've been in the, we're in the Exodus class um, Sunday nights, you'd, you'd be thinking of a lot of different things right now. I am Yahweh. Really should, when any of us hear that, it should flood our minds with scripture of what's already happened. Like at probably the most famous of these, like at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, when in verses 13 and 14, it says this, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said this, and he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. So I am is, Yahweh is based on the the name for I am or on the word for I am. Um, So the self-existent one, the eternal one, the all-powerful one, the one that doesn't need anything else, totally independent of everything. Um, I am who I am. So that one, a little while later, in Exodus 15, Moses says this, I sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. Yahweh is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. So he's the Savior. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Yahweh is a man of war. Yahweh is his Name and he destroys Egypt. Then this past Wednesday night, we were, um, if you happened to, a few of you were here for Wednesday night church, um, Wednesday night 
Bible study and and prayer time. Uh, Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. He's the creator. And so as the creator, he has power over all these things. And he has absolute right over all of his creatures, and you're one of them. Um, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber, slumber nor sleep. Yahweh is your keeper. Yahweh is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Yahweh will keep you. From all evil, he will keep your life. Yahweh will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And so you could say in in place of keep there, you could say guard as well. And then after the golden calf, back to Exodus 34, you will remember this. The Lord passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a merciful, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation? Now, we, when we read through this passage, we tend to get to that end part, and it draws all our focus. But let's not also forget the first part of how the Lord reveals his character. Yahweh, Yahweh, or the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful. And gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and keeping steadfast love or keeping covenant love for thousands, forgiving but won't leave those who... um, won't clear the guilty. All those things, though, more than all-powerful, more than this, more than all-knowing, loving, merciful, kind, that's who he is. So all of the benefits of the Lord now, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, your God. They're yours. They belong to you. So, you know, the interesting thing about it is we belong to God. But when he says, I am Yahweh, your God, he also belongs to us. As as his family in that way. Not that we have any control over him but that he has devoted himself to us like a father does children. And like a a child could say to his father um, or her father, you're my dad. 
all of these things about God are ours in Jesus Christ. Often uh, in the Old Testament and often before this, when, when the Lord announces himself to the people, to the people of Israel, often, maybe, maybe most of the time, he starts it off this way. I am Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But here he says, I am Yahweh, your God. Remember what Moses has just said. It isn't with your fathers that God made this covenant. It's with you. You who are alive today. So is that any different? Is it any different for us? That is it any different? Can we say Yahweh is our God? Can we say we can? We can also say Jesus is our God. He's, he's not just the God of our fathers. He is the God of us personally, individually, each one of us. And then he goes on to say this, Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, So remember where you came from. Take time to think about where you were in Egypt, slavery, miserable, no hope. And remember the great things that God has done to get you out of there. This is from uh, earlier in, in Deuteronomy. Uh, chapter 1, verses 30 and 31. The Lord your God, or Yahweh your God, who goes before you, will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness, where you have seen how Yahweh your God carried you, as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to that place. So why wouldn't you be loyal to him? And is it, is it any different for us? If we stop and think about where have we come from? You know, the New Testament informs us. We were slaves. We were rescued and and for all of us, each one of us, that looks different. But it's still true for each one of us who brought you out of the land of, out of the house of slavery. And only after God tells us that does he start the commandments. He tells us those great things. You shall have no other gods before me. So what does that commandment mean? My understanding when I was young and and growing up was, was this, basically. You shall have no other gods before me means that you can't put anything ahead of him. That you're not going to... God has to be higher up the list of the things you love. 
than anything else. So my job then, as I'm trying to live out this commandment, is to um, make sure that nothing passes God on that list. Um, nothing comes ahead of God. So, so in that idea, well, you can have other gods. They just can't pass. They just can't pass the Lord. They just can't pass him. So, but it really boils down to, understanding this really boils down to understanding what this means before me. Does it mean that there's a hierarchy here? That this something's in front of something else? Well, it, well, it can mean, in that sense, or ahead of something else. It can mean that. So Daniel Block, again, he was here a few years ago, but uh, is, he's the guy that took eight years to, eight years to teach Deuteronomy in Sunday school. Um, but Canaanites and the other Middle Eastern people, the people of this land, um, they believed in many gods. They believed in a pantheon. But the pantheon had a hierarchy. So there was a supreme god, but all the other gods were still there. Um, and so the idea here is that you can't, don't bring any other gods into my presence before me, like in front of me. Don't have any other gods in front of me, in my presence. You can't, that's, that's Bloch's interpretation. And, and as you read that and read other parts of scripture, um, where it says things like, I am God and there is no other. So don't bring anything else into my presence. There are no rivals. There, there aren't any. There's no number two. There's no number three. There's no number four. There are no rivals at all. So that's, what, that's the kind of the narrow understanding, kind of the literal understanding of what this, this commandment means. So... Um, but how do we know if we have any other gods? How do we know if we are putting, if we have any other rivals to God in our own, if I do? How do you know if I do? How do I know if you do? Well, we might see some external evidence that we think points to something, but this really comes down to, this is a question about your heart. And who can examine your heart? I mean, we can search our own hearts, but God knows our hearts. We might be able to fool a lot of people about whether or not we have other gods, but we can't fool God himself. So, Deuteronomy um, 6 Verses 4 and 5 um, say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And we know that, that Jesus quotes that, that, that commandment. It's not one of the ten. Um, but we know that he 
quotes it along with another commandment that isn't one of the ten. Um, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says the whole law and the prophets hang on those two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if we do that, is there any danger that we violate the first commandment? If we love the Lord like that. So this commandment truly is a commandment about the heart, about our hearts. We're not likely today to be tempted to worship the Canaanite gods. I don't think I'm I don't think I'm likely to to bring you know to to bring or come to worship Baal or Ashtara or Molech. I don't think that is a real concern. They're not really a temptation um, for me. But what are our what are our rivals to God that we have? New Testament, and these are, these are easy. This, was, this first one's really easy. God says you can't, serve, you can't serve God in money. We can't do that. That's an easy one. You know, we could talk about what that means for a long time. Work's an easy one. Sports is an easy one to think about. Hobbies are an easy one to think about whether they rival God for us. But what other modern-day thing? Is there that could rival God? Something maybe that kind of slips in when we're not paying attention. I would say it's it's the one that's been along around since the first couple. It's the one that's been around since Genesis chapter three, where it says this. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was of delight to her eyes or the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave it also, she gave some also to her husband who was with her and he ate. We are more likely to be tempted to put ourselves on the throne than some of the other things that that are there. I decide what's right and wrong. I decide. So this has not changed, right? This is is the same thing. The terminology changes, um, comes along a little bit in period of judges. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Same thing. think anybody today is going, I can do what's right in my own eyes. They don't phrase it that way. They would say instead, I'm a libertarian. I get to do what I want. I decide which laws I'm going to obey and which laws I'm not going to obey. I decide which ones are, which ones are right and which ones are wrong. 
I'm autonomous. And our favorite one is the anthem. I did it my way. I decide. I decide what is right. I decide what is wrong. So we're, we're bombarded with that message um, every day in a million different ways. And I've been bombarded with that. I'm, I'm 64. I've been bombarded with that my whole life. Right? We, it's coming at us from so many different directions. Um, just think of this one. You know, we really have to keep, we really have to keep the public square and religion, faith separate. Because, you know, we have lots of people with lots of different faith, and faith is just personal anyway. And so we really have to make sure that we don't offend anybody And we must keep it out of the public square. So what is that? We have to keep things not, you know, as we gather together as a group, as a community, we have to keep things, you know, you have to keep your faith quiet and low. So that's that's like secularism, right? Uh, John Freeman has a quote in here which we might not have, have thought of. Uh, this is, John Frame has got several books. This is the one that includes um, his teaching on the Ten Commandments, um, the large section of his teaching on the Ten Commandments. Secularism, with its variant, secular humanism, is today the most powerful rival to the Christian religion. It holds that there is no God and that human beings have lived best when they do not call on supernatural help. So that is what is driving our society. That is where all this, that, that's where it comes from. That you have to, we have to, we have to make sure that we keep the workplace free of any religious influence. That's where it's coming from. The people driving that are, are coming from that mindset. So there are lots of other ways we could do that. But, but we are, from the time our kids turn on the TV or go to school, if they're not getting a Christian perspective, I don't, social media the internet, um, that's the message out there. That is what we have. And there is only one way to keep this commandment, and that is completely loyal, exclusively loyal, devotion to, love for, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one true God. So, um, as I mentioned, the one true God. So, what is it? What does all this lead to? Uh, and this is the last thing. Uh, my Old Testament studies, when I'm reading through in Deuteronomy and and Exodus and and things like that, and preparing for these things, often a New Test Testament thing verse comes into my mind. And this week it was. Actually, it was last week. It was this. Jesus saying, Again, 
The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. That's what it means to not have other gods before him. We're all in. There is no number two place. And we are, by the way, part of that kingdom. I mean, so we just have to become who we are in Christ, what he has made us. And so let's close in prayer and then we'll sing our final hymn. Uh, Father, um, we come before you and we uh, pray that you would help us to not have other gods, other rivals uh, in your presence, that we be wholly devoted to you um, as you call us to do in Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.